Hi, this is Eric from Games You Deserve. Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to take a minute to say thank you to all of you who have been listening to the podcast so far. This is a passion project for us, and it really means a lot that you're enjoying the show. If you're listening to Games You Deserve on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you would take a few seconds to give us a rating and a review on the app. Scroll down to the bottom of our podcast page and you should see an option to rate us out of five stars. Every rating we get helps the podcast grow and reach more listeners like you who love video games. Leave us a funny or interesting review and we may feature it on a future episode. If you're listening to us on a different podcatching app, you can show your support by letting a friend know about games you deserve. Thanks again for subscribing and listening to the podcast. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Games You Deserve, brought to you by Special Reserve Games. This week on the show, I talk to my friend Rob Atkins about how he's using video games to help in the fight against COVID-19. We also read your emails, and Eric brings us Chapter 1 of the History of Nintendo. ago, Eric, you put a challenge out to our listeners to, uh, I don't know if it's a challenge, but uh, you know, a request maybe, to uh, give us their uh, desired remakes. We were talking about um, video game remakes, and of course, in the wake of the Final Fantasy VII remake, which has been incredibly successful, we asked the listeners, what games would you like to see remade? And you've got quite a few answers. I did, I did. We got a few different uh, emails from people. The first one came from Justin. Justin says, listening to your podcast today about remakes slash remasters, what comes to mind is a Smash TV or Total Carnage. Uh, I dropped so many quarters into those machines. I love them. Oh, and I was lucky enough to grab a copy of Hotline Miami Collection from you before they sold out. It is my first purchase from Special Reserve, and hearing the process going into making the box, I'm excited to see it. Anyways, I'm rambling. Have a good day, sir. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, the, those games, uh, I do remember dropping quite a few quarters into those. They're pretty much the same game, weren't they? The Total Carnage and Smash TV? Generally, yeah. But, you know, that whole twin stick, face one direction, shooting another one top down. Ah, it's classic stuff. And yeah, they soaked up a lot of quarters. For sure. So how would I wonder how, how we would remake those? Would it be just enough to re-release it? Or would we want like um, a graphics update on that? Or, or what do you think? I definitely think you'd have to beef up the graphics. I mean, as great as those are, with imagine what you could do today with some of that. You know, explosions and gunshots and all kinds of cool things. I mean, if you look at Gungeon, for instance, Gungeon has a lot of those elements. The second one we got was uh, someone named Scott. 
His his message was a little bit shorter than the other one. It says, you have to admit, uh, this would be a classic to be remade. And his subject line was Parasite Eve. Did you ever play that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I played it and finished it uh, on, I believe it was a PlayStation, right? First PlayStation. Um, another one of those survival horrors. And uh, they did pretty well with the Resident Evil 2 remake. I think that would be a good one as well to to, to tackle. Like Those are fun games to play when you're in your living room or bedroom just with all the lights down and you're just kind of creeping yourself out uh, playing those games. That would be a lot of fun to, to revisit that one for sure. Yeah, definitely. The third one we got was from Shane. Shane said, I will try to keep this short, but thank you for all the work into making indie games into physical games. Your work is amazing. I will say that I'm a late buyer and very boned about missing my friend Pedro. But I did get to order Hotline Miami. Your podcast is great, and I used to go to LAN parties a lot, and we all played Quake. Some of the best times hanging with my mates in life. The one game I think needs remaking is Battlefield Bad Company. To this day, I think it's one of the best Battlefield games of all time. Again, please keep up the great work on making physical games in the podcast. It sounds like you had some some love for that there. Well, I mean, I love Battlefield. Uh, That was great. But, you know, it's also fun talking, just hearing someone say land parties. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know. I mean, when we thought about Quake, that was that was a big part of it, right? When you're doing Q3A, well, that and kind I of thing. I also remember something uh, I was thinking about our podcast and how we talked about the Quake 2 and Quake 3 Arena. And, and I, I remember I said multiplayer quite a bit, but we used to, you know, deathmatch. And I remember that was always a fun, you know, in a mixed company to be saying, hey, man, when we get done with work, you want to go home and deathmatch? You know, and people would look, you know. <laughs> like have the people look at you like people giving you okay, that look now, yeah. what do you mean by that uh, you, you do look like you could be mean but yeah anyway officer it was yeah, that guy so, yeah land party death match <laughs> when I was producing that episode I was looking for ads for Quake and I did the only ones I really could find were the N64 ads uh, for when Quake came to N64 and that was the big feature on that version of it was the death match because he couldn't play online with the Nintendo 64 but there was that two-player deathmatch that people loved. Back in the day, the shareware of, um, God dang, was it Quake 2? I'm trying to remember which one was the shareware. I have to ask Wilson or somebody. That was distributed at the counter nationwide at 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that and 7-Eleven was Southland Corp. And uh, that's based here in Dallas, so it was easy. I think that's the first disc, to be honest. I think that was the original Quake that had mm-hmm. that on there, because it had the uh, it had the unlockables. Yeah. You could you could buy Doom and stuff right off the disc. Exactly, too. it was a real. That was yeah, amazing. Was real, and believe it or not, that was Mike Wilson. Uh, that he was the marketing guy over at ID Software. And that's Mike Wilson, who's the current CEO of Devolver Digital and former of God Games or whatever. So uh, he had just left Dewango. Uh, <laughs> so look that one up, D-W-A-N-G-O, Dewango. <laughs> Hello, Dewango, Bob. Bob, I miss you. And uh, But yeah, so that was one of the first big marketing coups probably for, especially a first-person shooter, you know, a semi-violent, very violent video game. It was probably the first oh, yeah. national a guerrilla marketing campaign that works. So anyway, thank you, 7-Eleven, now owned by a different company, but thank you, 7-Eleven, right, for giving us the shareware of 
quake. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we got one more here coming from Mark, and I know who this guy is. He's actually on our Discord, uh, and I recognize the name. I know it's probably late to the party, but just listening to episode two of the podcast today, I'd like, and get this, I'd like NHL 94 remade for Switch, plus any other platforms of interest, using the same general underlying code slash logic with retro-inspired graphics and multiplayer online. If you are keen, if you are keen to get the right people... I have Mark Lesser's contact <laughs> details and some spare cash to invest. Oh, man, that'd be so much fun. Now, who's that signed by? Mark? Mark Lesser? It's, it's from Mark. <laughs> you mean Mark Gretzky? Is that who signed it? <laughs> Quote Mark Gretzky. So I would like- if you could play NHL 94 <laughs> online the same way you can now play NHL 20, right? But oh, still, that would be incredible. Yeah, and but with the game, with the teams of the past, like that's one of the best part about that game now is that you get to revisit mm-hmm. all these classic teams. Um, uh, and I use, again, going back to the production of the podcast, I used a clip from Swingers in one of these episodes uh, in which uh, they're playing NHL 94 before going out on the town. And there's a great series where the guy makes little Wayne head bleed because um, <laughs> they took the, the fighting out. But it's a great game. And, and that's, again, that's just my uh, high school years right there just going over to my buddy's house after school and playing nhl 94 every day we did that all the time yeah so you know there's still time to get out there and email us and and drop us a message about what you want to see remade um or even if you have other comments about some of the other episodes if you want to throw your two cents at us we're going to give away uh, a special little prize package uh, from Special Reserve Games. So email me. It's eric, E-R-I-K, at specialreservegames.com. And uh, you just might get your email read on the podcast. Did you say E-R-I-K? Yes. E-R-I-K. E-R-I-K. Like, it's Okay. <laughs> I always love it because we have a guy in uh, that has been with us for a while in um, customer service named Mark M A R C. That's right. And then Eric's E R I K. And I always tell him as often as I can, you guys need to just switch your last letters of your last name so you guys can have. No, we're doing this the right way. Well, I want you to have a pencil uh, with your name on it, <laughs> you know, that you can just roll by, you know, at the you know painted desert or something, and it's E R I. I'm always disappointed when I go to the knickknack shops because it's E-R-I-C. I know. I am too, because my name is Jeffrey J-F-F-R-Y. And it was because I was a Joffrey. I was a G-E-O-F-F-R-Y because my mother was a literature teacher. Uh, the nurses and somebody said, you know, you'll never be able to call him Jeff, uh, you know, blah, 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 with that spelling or something. And I, I guess freaked my mom out. They changed, this is the story I got. Then they changed my name back to J-E, but they didn't change the last part to have an E at the end, like R-E-Y or E-R-Y, whatever, but Jeffrey Speller name. So I'm a Jeff, J-F-F-R-Y. Never had, I, did I get a pencil with my name? Because most of them were Jeffrey's, not Jeff. So see, I've, <laughs> I'm projecting my pain onto you, Eric. And then Dan. I had an Dan, uncle named Dan. Dan. One of the most common names out there. Always had a pencil with my name on it. Yeah, well, uh, uh, he's rubbing it in our face again, Eric. I know, I know. It's lucky lucky we can't get into Canada right now. That's right. (laughs) Or, you know, we'd be talking. (laughs) Barclay, Barry, Bert, Bort. Oh, come on, Bort? Mommy, Bobby, buy me a license.
Wait, no. Come along, Bort. Are you talking to me? No, my son is also named Bort. Well, those were some great letters, man. And I, I really appreciate people not only taking the time to listen to this podcast, but also to reach out and be interactive. And, you know, we are in the interactive entertainment industry. And so the key word here, I think, is interactive. And as long as we keep interacting, we have the shared common interest. That's what keeps the video game industry so fresh and new, but such a cool place to gather as a great community. I'd like to welcome one of my old friends, even though it doesn't mean we're getting older. We've just been friends for probably two decades at this point. Uh, Robert Atkins, he's the current CEO of Balance Media Technologies. But when I met him, he was working at Ritual Entertainment, and I was at Terminal Reality here in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Rob. Hey, Jeff. It's great to be here, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, my pleasure. So we talk on the phone. We know each other. Tell people, maybe just uh, in summary, if you can, uh, your life in the video game business. <laughs> yeah, so it started almost 30 years ago. I was very fortunate. I'm from the same hometown, it, Shreveport, Louisiana, that id Software started. And my best friend, I'll never forget sitting on the in, in a little bench in this gallery at the LSU school that we went to, and he was contemplating moving to Wisconsin with these guys that he had met named John Carmack, John Romero, and Tom Hall to to start it. And I was like, what do you got to lose, man? You know, you know, go, you can always come back to school. And long story short, you know, I'm playing their, their, you know, Wolfenstein 3D like two years later. It's one of the coolest games of all time. Mm-hmm. And I decided to come to Shreveport and visit Adrian. I was still in college, left, my, you know, came over to visit him and he was working on a game called Doom. And at that point, it was like, holy shit, this is the renaissance of gaming. This is it. And this is everything. And I I left my last semester of college. I don't even, I didn't get my degree. I'm one class shy of my degree. I went, and moved like in. <laughs> I went and moved in on the, you know, Adrian's spare uh, waterbed that didn't have a heater. It was a freezing waterbed. I'm sitting there in this waterbed freezing, sending out applications. And with six months after I came to Dallas, I was I was uh, hired to be the creative director of marketing at Apogee Software. Mm-hmm. Apogee Software, the original publisher of Terminal Velocity from mm-hmm. yeah. uh, from a little Terminal Reality company. We've talked about that once or twice. But at Apogee, you worked on Duke Nukem 2, didn't you? And you started doing like, we were doing boxes. I mean, yeah. these games were distributed on CD-ROM back then. We did have physical instruction manuals manuals. So, you you know, what I'm doing now with Special Reserve, and we talk about that, but, you know, that's kind of how you got started, right? Doing some of the physical and the creative directors? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we did a lot of direct to consumer uh, products like you're doing now where we had people pre-order product that we were going to put together and and we put together these printed manuals. And and that was, that was one of the things that I, I, I wanted to uh, like up the ante on was like, how do we make our printed stuff look really awesome? I got to work on the, and so we started going to retail as well. So we started doing the big boxes back then, you know, Walmart was just starting to get into the game and we had, you know, Rise of the Triad was one of the first games I got to work on retail. Uh, you mentioned uh, Terminal Velocity. And then the big one, that was one of my like big moments in my career was working on Duke Nukem 3D. And mm-hmm. I did the box for that and, and, and the logos and 
and I got to do all the ads and all the placements. And it was, you know, that was, that was really where I got my start was doing the marketing side of things. And I, and I kept asking my bosses, like, I want to make the games. I just don't want to, I don't want to just do the, the print stuff. I want to make them. And they kept, no, you know, you're really good at your job. You just do your job. So I, I got a little frustrated. So I brought in my own personal computer and I set it next to my Macintosh that I was doing the desktop publishing on. And I, and during lunch, I would do pixel art. And so I started learning how to do pixel art so that I one day could hopefully make my own game. Mm-hmm. Who was your boss? Who was uh, it? My direct report was Scott Miller and then <laughs> Stephen Blackburn. And, and then George really and I never really interfaced. George Rossard and I really yeah, never yeah. interfaced. George just lives right over there. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I live what? four blocks away from 3d realms yeah right and, they, and, they, and that was a cornerstone company right yeah. i mean they they were they were the reason why its software came here right. i mean scott miller uh, tricked him to moving to, to mesquite you know but thank god because dallas in particular is where there's so many companies that spawn from apogee spawn yeah. from 3d realms spawn from id software and terminal reality up in the island of Louisville. i mean it was making macintosh games oh, yeah. terminal velocity was for mac That's wild. and then it was ported to windows 95 if i remember how the story went i mean because brett Combs and and Mark Randall, though especially Brett, that, that was my cousin, <laughs> and he was a super Apple IIe nerd. I mean, he was the first guy I ever knew personally that owned an Apple. So anyway, it's just like they, they would. If you imagine if they were going to stay making Macintosh games, yeah. how far that would have. I mean, I know. that the, company would hockey puck. <laughs> yeah, would have never gone anywhere, right? But yeah, so then. You went on to be a founder of Ritual Entertainment, also here in Dallas. Yeah, so we were so in '96 we we launched Duke, and it was one of the biggest games of all time. At that year, especially, it was like winning Game of the Year awards. Well, the other company that it software that launched Quake that year that was the that was the big other big game that year, and it was the first genuine 3D game. And me and a small group of people that worked at Apogee or 3D Realms, we Richard Gray, the Level Lord, Mark Doc. And Jim Doze, some of us decided we want to we want to start our own company, and we were very fortunate to be the first company that got the Quake engine, and we made the first mission pack uh, Quake Skirts of Armagon for id Software, and it won a tremendous amount of awards, and it started our company. We started using the Quake engine to make all kinds of games from that point forward. Mm-hmm. Like, was Sin on the Quake engine? Yes, Sin was Quake 2. Okay, yeah, yeah, so Sin yeah. was the Quake engine. Heavy Metal Fact 2 was a Quake 3 engine. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked on Star Trek games. We, Lord of the Rings games. I was I was part of a team that got to, uh, we almost got the Tomb Raider license, believe it or not. As a, and and um, Doug Church and some other people, we got to sit in a room and rewrite the Tomb Raider Bible before uh, Crystal Dynamics took the franchise over. Mm-hmm. And I had two requests for that. I was like, I want to humanize the character uh, so she didn't feel like this cartoon. And I wanted to, I wanted her to become aware of her environment so she would know that she was in this space. Mm-hmm. And they did it, and Crystal Dynamics did a fantastic job with, with that franchise. And I love to see what they've done. Other games of note were Counter Strike Condition Zero. We, I, my team put Counter Strike on the Xbox, Twenty Five to Life, and, and just got to touch. At this point, you know, Let's over just take sixty a moment titles. And let that sink in on yeah. what you just said to certain people. That was 
the Counter-Strike. Yes, that Counter-Strike. Yeah. <laughs> Just let that sink in for a second. And then also uh, to point out Levelord, Richard, one of yeah. our favorite people, right? We all, when we're all here in Dallas together, because Richard now lives most of the time with his wife in Moscow, Russia. Uh, but And he was a, a Navy guy. He's an old Navy guy here in the United States. But he made one of my favorite multiplayer le- uh, levels behind the bookcase. Oh, yeah. And that, oh, my gosh. And I can't tell you how. And so it, that was part of sin uh and it was like the multiplayer element of sin because behind the bookcase didn't it didn't appear in the actual game or any kind of like sin chronicles or anything like that that was really was that just a multiplayer only level created yeah so we uh i can't remember if it was in the original release it's been like two decades ago <laughs> right. for me uh, but when we originally launched sin we we basically were crushed by half-life half-life came out two weeks later crushed us we had uh historically we were known because we had a lot of we had some bugs that we back then you had you know you boxed it up you put it on the shelf you didn't have digital download you couldn't have a digital update you literally someone got the disc they put it in they expected it to work yeah. we did as well but it didn't work as designed it wasn't even beta tested uh before the publisher put it onto disc and, sh- and shipped it mm-hmm. so we tried to recover by creating a really fast update during that update we had additional multiplayer maps we created a ctf capture the flag uh scenario and we had we had at the time i would argue the best multiplayer on the planet mm-hmm. uh, it just wasn't enough to 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 serve you know to stand above half-life and, and all of the accolade mm-hmm. that they deserve at the time but it was definitely a franchise that that we was you know true to our hearts and we got to work on something that was our game and it was a lot of fun to make mm-hmm. i remember around that time i think one of the first times you and i actually had a conversation we joke about this richard gray was involved in this this was back at south by southwest when it was the first year i believe that they were launching the interactive division yeah. or the interactive portion of south by southwest it had started as music only then they'd incorporated m- movies and 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 some kind of other documentary film then they were start and it was Andy, oh, I forgot the guy's name, Andy at South by Southwest, who's bringing in this interactive. And a bunch of us from Dallas went down there to be on panels or talk. And trust me, there was not as many people, you know, at the interactive (laughs) as there is now, because the interactive of South by Southwest is there, you know, Twitter launched there and all that it is. And so uh, Richard and you uh, were walking uh, down the street in Austin, going to go get lunch or something away from the convention center. And I knew Richard and, you know, I just kind of met him too and i was trying to tag along and go to lunch with you and i just remember you kept walking a little bit faster and you weren't real interested in talking to me and i thought wow this guy's a big rock star you know i guess he doesn't want to talk to me or whatever i wasn't offended by it but eventually i think richard said no this is this smitty from terminal reality and you're like oh i thought you were like some (laughs) fanboy chasing me around trying to get an autograph or something i was like oh come on now (laughs) probably was you look scary man come on (laughs) yeah but we're both about the same height and everything trust me rob's like six four six five i mean this boy's no joke there is nothing to worry about you're gonna be just fine i'll take good care of you I'm your number one fan. We did uh, go on to be a part of something yeah. that we both considered to be pretty great, uh, developer-driven publishing. Yeah. And the idea behind to God Games or Gathering of Developers, 
you left uh, your publisher, Terminal Reality. We Microsoft was our publisher, and we all left to be uh, joint owners, if you will, yeah. and uh, contributed titles to Gathering of Developers. And then we got to work together. Uh, on many games, yeah. you know. And a lot of great titles. Great titles. Yeah. I mean, Heavy Metal Fact 2 was one of them. Yeah, Max Payne. Max Payne. Oh, my God. Yeah. But hold on. It all started with Jazz Jackrabbit 2. That's right. A little-known <laughs> company, Epic Mega Games. Yeah. You know, who I always like. Everybody knows those guys. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And then Railroad Tycoon 2. Yeah. Do you remember? It's a great game. And that, was, that actually sold really well. And the sales of Railroad Tycoon 2, a Sid Meier, who I can't remember who actually did. Um, it wasn't. Pop Top. Who, was Pop. it Pop Top that, who did that? And then we did uh, Tropico mm-hmm. with Pop Top. But the sales of Railroad Tycoon 2 floated i think a couple extra months of gathering of developers early on so a railroad simulation actually started (laughs) you know and that was the great thing about that was it was the developers the artists owned the publisher so we basically Mm -hmm. and that's the great thing about the gaming industry super talented people technically capable and they're and they're willing to take a risk to take things in their own hands to invent new ways of doing things Mm -hmm. like distribution steam invented because you know, the retail model was broken. Uh, digital downloads allowed us to do update software sooner than later. You know, there was, there's all, you know, 3D, Match, you know. Matchmaking like, systems for multiplayer. Si- there's so many things that exist today because of gaming mm-hmm. and, the, and innovators who were all, well, most of them independently minded, independent of, of publishers. Of, if so, they would have waited for someone to tell them to do these things. They yes. never would have happened. Yeah. And so that's the great thing about developers and independent developers in particular. We were always, always part of indie development. We can we see something and we just do it. We mm-hmm. just build it. Yeah. And, and, and we often, have no choice. And often we just we all self-publish it. And, yep. and, and so that's the great thing about gaming is we've driven – innovation across so many industries that most people are are unaware of. Everyone had a smartphone Mm -hmm. that was AR capable, but it wasn't until Pokemon Go was, 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 uh, installed on their phones that they walked around and they, they picked up, that's a game driving a hardware feature that no one even knew existed. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's the, that's the great thing about games is now there are over 2 billion people playing games worldwide. When I, when I started in 2000, I'm sorry, in 93, there were a hundred million people playing games worldwide. So now there's almost equal male to female. Mm -hmm. And so the market is massive. It's games are for everyone. And it's not, we're not going back. We're only going to continue to grow that market. Well, video games have driven a lot of innovation in a lot of different industries. And you're, in uh, that now because you're kind of in a research and and allowing uh, video gaming and especially even a multiplayer gaming con uh, concept or or collectively everybody you know, coalescing around the same client to actually do research and a real world I'm gonna say development of concepts or testing and proving theories or so I'm butchering it but I'd like to really talk about how <laughs> your whole life of video games has led up to this calling to lead a company that actually helps people maybe beat cancer uh, macular degeneration issues or even a COVID-19 You're, how right. are you using uh, video games and and uh, that idea and all the things you've learned to uh, in your current day what are you doing now yeah so thanks uh, so at, at Balance Media Technology we decided to start a company that can connect technology into gaming that has dual purpose so while people are playing games they could be playing 
Pac-Man. They could be playing Minecraft. They could be doing medical research simultaneously, and they don't have to know about it. They literally could be turning a red, black, green, or picking up a dot, and what they're really doing is we're crowdsourcing these really massive problems, and we're using the technology to connect community and we really believe in the power of people. We believe in the power of community. There's no greater engaged community in the world. There's no empowered group of people in the world in gaming. We just want to take that, that yield that power and do good things with it. Mm. Well, can you like start like explain what the human client is and spell it so people can yeah, look so it up. So it's H E W M E N, and you can go to human.com, H E W M E N, and you can see the, you can download the client today. And we're doing a thing called crowdsourcing with distributed grid computing. That's one example of what we do. So while you're not using your computer, your computer could actually be processing COVID-19 research jobs. And we've already been doing that. So within the first 5,000 jobs that our community process, we actually have a hit on a possible therapeutic. 5,000 jobs. This is an independent company working with independent researchers trying to help find the solution. So we're not connected to pharmaceuticals. We're not connected to some external company. We're independent of those those organizations trying to actually solve these problems. Mm-hmm. And we're allowing the community to do that with us. And, and how is that? I mean, so when they're getting a hit and we're doing COVID-19 research specifically, what does yeah. that mean? Like, what what's the what am I going to see if I download the client and sure. how am I going to actually be a part so of this? So your computer is doing processing in that, in that case. It's working off of Boink technology, which is out of Berkeley. It's been around forever. If you remember SETI at home, mm-hmm. it's very similar. That's one way you can help. The other thing is just play some of the games that we've made. So we put, we so processing is one way. And the other way is this your human intuition. We're actually putting our technology, we have our technology working on Unreal, the same game engine that Fortnite works on, and Unity, the same that most mobile gaming is done with. And so we're putting our technology into the game engines. The other thing we're doing is we're connecting to esports. We work with great organizations like Complexity Gaming. And while people are, we just did a race to world first with their uh, team limit. Uh, and while people are watching the race to world first, they, in an extension on Twitch, you could play a little interactive game. And that interactive game was connected to cancer research. So while people were watching this 10 day event, they helped help basically go through six months of cancer research by crowdsourcing it to the millions of people that watched that event. So literally the viewers who aren't even downloading the game, they're not even they're not even buying anything. They're just getting to do something fun during the during the esports event are now helping something really important like cancer research. Mm-hmm. So we're taking the technology and putting it we're gonna have this technology in all of gaming. It's gonna be in esports, streaming, mobile you know, top-notch games like Minecraft. We're putting the technology on the server side in Minecraft right now. We're going to, it's the new way of gaming. It's, Mm -hmm. we're not changing gaming. We're making, we're empowering gamers Mm -hmm. to do something really cool, like solve the world's problems. Guess what? I'm tired of waiting around for somebody else to do it. It's, if we can build something that allows individuals who are just doing the thing they love to do, play video games, now suddenly make the world a better place, make the world suck less, as Mm -hmm. I like to say, Mm -hmm. then by God, we're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Right. And so the whole thing, uh, 
about video gaming, I always remind people, let's quit calling it video gaming sometimes because it's called interactive entertainment. And that's the way we used to say, people say, I make video games for a living and, and others wouldn't know how, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm in the interactive entertainment industry. Oh, well, that sounds very, very <laughs> important, doesn't it? But but that is what it is because I, I talk about all the time, the gaming industry, why is it so innovative but why is it still not imploded why like music or with hollywood have the big money not come in and ruined it now they've come in and bought a bunch of us up but why is the gaming industry why does it survive and it's not just because there's so many cool people it's because we have a shared common interest mm -hmm. and and it's it's just the simple just the joy of playing games that's the shared common interest and and so I think from a developer's standpoint, which we both are and have been, I'm now a publisher, and but you're still very much a developer and you're a new wave of innovation of development of interactive entertainment, using interactive entertainment to, like you say, solve real world problems. Some of them might involve cancer. Some of them just might involve the uh, treatment of symptoms of COVID-19 and trying to find a combination of drugs that lessens the severity of symptoms of COVID-19, right? That's right. So it doesn't always have to be about saving the world. It can be about making your daily, day-to-day -day routine something in your daily life or something that disrupts all of our life a little more tolerable, a little easier to get, gather, uh, yeah. get through. But then, you know, if you could come up with solving uh, cancer, uh, you know, providing a, a in research that led to a cancer treatment for one specific kind of cancer, just one, right. just one. Great. That's one less cancer that's going to probably kill at least, you know, it's not just save one life type idea, yeah. but it is, but isn't that cool that you could save a life or make someone's life suck less Right. by playing video games. So, I mean, I personally have been behind this and Special Reserve Games has actually been right. behind Big this. Big supporters, we've, yeah. Yeah, we've sponsored some of the streams and I mean, I wish I could do more. So I wanted to have you on the podcast today to, because, you know, we're great friends and I love you and I wanted people to know who you were and, and you you know, it's a reason to have you over to the house and have dinner after we, you know, afterwards. So actually Rob is recording this here at my house and uh, it's the first time I've seen you and quite a few months. So we are socially distanced uh, on this microphone, <laughs> if anyone's worried about it. But uh, I work from home, so I'm probably... So do I. Yeah, so we're pretty safe. But anyway, so I just really you know, wanted to introduce people to you, but I think the work that you're doing is super important. So can you tell people if they want to find out more, get involved, um, tell them again how to, how to contact uh, BMT or download the human client? Yeah, so you can go to bmt.world is one way. Or you can go directly to the human a platform, which is H-E-W-M-E-N dot com. Right on. And if you uh, do start interacting with BMT, uh, you won't be sorry there. Uh, you know, Silicon Valley, where you go? Oh, no, right here in Dallas, Texas. Well, That's actually, right. McKinney, Texas. So, you know, uh, it, it's a good organization and a great guy. And I just uh, appreciate you coming over and uh, being on the Games You Deserve podcast, brother. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. So we're going to switch over to a new uh, segment on the podcast here. Eric's been working on a audio documentary of sorts about Nintendo. Tell us about it, Eric. Yeah, so this is a uh, long look 
at Nintendo. And I don't mean the Nintendo necessarily that you know, uh, that most people know from Super Mario Brothers onward. This is possibly a, a, a much deeper look at Nintendo. Yeah, Nintendo's been around for a really, really long time, before the 1900s, you know? And uh, when you think about that, that's, that's an immense deep history with some wild turns. And uh, they've, they've seen a lot of different things happen that not everybody really knows. There's some really neat and I'll say weird things that Nintendo has done. Um, it's, it's not your average game company. These are things that, uh, oh, Sega probably didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sega liked to say Genesis does what Nintendo don't, but I don't know that they know Nintendo's, uh, dark history. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to share some of that. Awesome. Well, let's give a listen to the first installment of Eric's History of Nintendo. As someone who grew up in the 1980s, I had the pleasure of enjoying the technology explosion of that era. One of the most recognizable brands of the time is, of course, Nintendo. I'm certain everyone listening is quite familiar with the Nintendo Entertainment System, or NES, and of course, Mario and the wonderful cast of associated characters. But long before Nintendo swept the world with its 8-bit technological marvel, Nintendo had quite humble beginnings. This is part one of a limited segment I'm calling Fire Flower, From Paper to Pixels. The Nintendo you know today as a vast gaming powerhouse with multiple beloved franchises is a far cry from the small business founded by Fusajiro Yamauchi over 130 years ago in the late fall of 1889. Nintendo, originally called Nintendo Kopai, was founded in Kyoto, Japan, the birthplace of a then 28-year-old Fusajiro. As an artist, Fusajiro designed and painted playing cards using cardstock created from the bark of Mitsumata trees, the same trees used to create the Japanese yen even to this day. Mitsumata can produce a high-quality writing paper, and the fibers are rather resilient, making it an ideal material to produce these playing cards named Hanafuda, which literally translates to floral playing cards. The history of Hanafuda stretches back into the mid-1500s, when the Portuguese introduced their version of playing cards to Japan. Japan began manufacturing their own playing cards during the Tensho period, and they were used for a game that was similar to spades or euchre. Unfortunately, in 1633, Japan instituted a policy of Sokoku, or closed country, isolating Japan from the Western world and in doing so, foreign playing cards which were seen as a form of Western entertainment were banned by the Tokugawa shogunate. A ban on Tensho cards was soon to follow in 1648. Sokoku policy would last for over 220 years until 1853. However, even with the ban on gambling and various cards, playing cards would continue to evolve with new designs subsequently being banned, creating a chain of design evolution over time. The first appearance of Hanafuda, known as Hana Awase, was prior to 1816, when Japan identified it as a banned gambling card game. 
Once Sokoku was lifted due to trade treaties with the early American black ships, Hanafuda could be played again out in the open, giving opportunities such as the one afforded to Fusajiru Yamauchi to produce handcrafted, high-quality Hanafuda. By 1902, demand for Fusajiru's Hanafuda was growing to the point where he could no longer produce the product on his own. Fusajiro trained apprentices in the crafting of Hanafuda to meet the growing demand and expanded his business by manufacturing Western-style playing cards. Five years later, in 1907, Fusajiro struck a distribution deal with Japan Tobacco and Salt Corporation, which allowed Nintendo cards to be sold in cigarette shops. This move expanded Nintendo's reach from beyond the local Kyoto and Osaka regions to make them recognizable throughout Japan. In fact, Nintendo's cards were the primary cards used by the Yakuza in their gaming parlors. This meant that Nintendo would profit quite nicely, since new decks were supplied frequently during play. Fusajiro Yamauchi and his wife raised a daughter, Tei. Tei married a man by the name of Sekirio Canada. Canada would eventually take on the surname of Yamauchi, as he was identified as Fusajiro Yamauchi's successor. Fusajiro Yamauchi retired from Nintendo Kopai in 1929, 40 years after the launch of what would one day become one of the most iconic brands known worldwide. At least one thing was clear, Sekirio Yamauchi had large shoes to fill in Fujisiro Yamauchi's absence. What can listeners look forward to in the next uh, part? I'm going to say Nintendo becomes Uber and leave it at that. Okay. I can't wait to hear it. Hey, Adam! Want to play Nintendo? What's new at Special Reserve Games? What's new at Special Reserve Games? We are still sold out of Hotline Miami uh, Switch. But I will tell you, there are some very real discussions about doing Hotline Miami 1, Hotline Miami 2, each uh, on PlayStation 4 discs. Nice. So there's talk about that. It's not done done, but uh, hopefully uh, soon. Uh, so write to your local congressman and demand you know, Hotline Miami 1 on PlayStation 4 disc. That's a joke. And if you do that, please send a copy. I want to see that. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, what's coming up, we have a, a second chance sale, uh, stockpile sale kind of combined, if you will. And that uh, because we never really had a second chance sale for my friend Pedro, uh, we're combining that. And we had so few units left over. We're combining that with the stockpile sale for Greece and also for Metal Wolf Chaos on PS4. So we have Grease uh, on Switch, but we have no games left. No, but some lovely art books. <laughs> oh, gosh. We still Exquisite. have 125 of the 12-inch tall, 14-inch wide you know, art books, 176 pages. It's been a while since I've had to quote the page count. With those great little white gloves. Yeah, but they ship, and they, and they literally... That's that. That's all that was produced. Uh, there is not going to right. ever be a second pressing of the books, and the books are absolutely approved and praised by Conrad Rosé himself. 
but uh, so we'll have a few hundred uh, different things for uh, units of Greece and uh, also the art cards. Uh, and then my friend Pedro, we actually have a few games and Metal Wolf Chaos. We have a couple hundred PS4 games with some of the accessories. So that'll go up on sale. And usually our stockpile sales are on Fridays and it kind of gives people, you know, the weekend to look around and, you know, sometimes things sell out quickly. Hopefully, you know, not everybody just rushes in and gobbles everything up, although we love that when that happens. <laughs> I've got a question here about the sale. Uh, this is coming right from your Instagram feed. Uh, someone here, the Somber Gamer, asks, is this going to come in the cool boxes you guys do, or is it just a physical copy? Like, if someone wants to order Pedro, will it come in the cool Pedro box? Well, on the stockpile sales or second chance sales, we always will show what does and doesn't come with it, but the answer is yes. It absolutely will come in that cool Pedro box because we only sold at special reserve games the version of the my friend pedro that came in the what we call reserve boxes uh and so sometimes we're doing uh maybe a retail cover or an alternate cover with our partners limited run games who are just you know some fantastic people when we offer an alternate cover to a retail partner or limited run games Usually that does not come with the reserve box, but it's clearly notated on their site. And we don't sell those, usually those versions on our site. So we try to keep it less confusing, but we're really straightforward. Look for the words reserve box, uh, because that's usually what we call those special reserve product boxes. And that's the same from Metal Wolf as well? Metal Wolf Chaos did not have uh, a reserve box ever. It was released just in the PlayStation 4 packaging. And then we did what's called a propaganda envelope, which is a custom little envelope that has uh, a letter inside, some propaganda stickers, and a Metal Wolf Chaos PVC wearable patch. And uh, so that was one of the few games we did that didn't have the reserve one of the reasons was uh, we had an exclusive retail option with GameStop that they wanted to do a lot of great distribution with uh, Metal Wolf. And I wasn't even sure I was going to release one for uh, uh, actual special reserve games. I thought I was only going to have a retail release. So I was just late and I couldn't, I didn't want to delay the game for a box. <laughs> and then coming up in June is going to be Mother Russia Bleeds. Uh, and it is going to be announced for Switch, and Mother Russia Bleeds PS4 is also in discussion right now. And so hopefully, I'm kind of delaying the actual total announcement about that until we iron out a few details, but hopefully we'll be talking about a dual platform release for Mother Russia Bleeds. And if we're not, by the time this podcast airs, I'm sorry, guys, I can only do Switch. <laughs> <laughs> go buy a switch i don't know I, what am i supposed to do huh? but so those are a couple of the new things coming up um you know personally i've been continuing to participate in the beta test for fall guys for ps4 that's a which, bunch of fun by the way yeah and you did too right Eric? i did i did i got a chance to play some of that that's just amazing right right and it's uh e for everybody it's online only it's essentially a massively multiplayer fun game without guns you know but it's uh real it's colorful really, very very colorful so but it actually will be you know when we were talking about the Wii and how Wii sports was like the only thing that we played this kind of reminds me 
You know, doesn't it? Air? I mean, am I going weird? Like, there's no. A, it's got that kind it, of feel. To it, it has that feel to it, like yeah. a Wii Sports, like so, but not in a bad of, way. In in like no. the best possible way. You Absolutely. know, it's, I honestly just just getting everybody together and and trying to make it from one end of the course to the other, and you're you're mm-hmm. kind of you're running into these obstacles. People are bumping into each other. It's crazy. It's like wipeout. Yeah, exactly. Wipeout. Yeah. It's like the t- it's like wipeout, but with jelly bean <laughs> characters that are top heavy because there's a physics element to the game as well. Like, oh, like nice. the platforms that will balance and and then so let's say if you have forty people running, twenty people might want run to one end of the platform, and so it starts tilting, and then you can't get on the end. And so there's some of it even though you're competitive you have to be cooperative in certain places or yeah. everybody just falls off the plank yeah there's know? a couple of there's a couple of different neat elements to the varying levels and each time you kind of finish a stage and you move on to the next round the entire course is different you're doing something very different at that point uh one of the courses has gigantic <laughs> fruit like massive bananas and and apples and stuff rolling down the the platform and squishing you knocking you over and you're running up a conveyor belt so if you get knocked over you might just fall off the end of the conveyor belt it's truly amazing (laughs) and i want to remind everybody that uh, if you are watching our twitter account or if you join our discord you will find this information it's it's something that we try to share and keep everybody up to date so when we make the announcements it's usually got information to follow and everybody's happy to share and if you just happen to be joining recently uh into the discord you can check the pin messages we always keep those things there too well it looks like the game clock has run out of time and the princess is in another castle On behalf of Games You Deserve, I would like to give a huge thanks to Rob Atkins for joining us. Until next episode, that's a game over.